Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Freecast. My name is Brian. With me as always is Vince. Zach is dead, but we'll return from the grave next week. Uh, and we're here to talk I, about... I, th- I think this time he might actually be dead. Oh, is this the, is this the goof we're going with tonight? <laughs> he might actually be dead? Okay. Uh, goof? We'll... I mean, I, he, he does not sound good. It doesn't sound good for him. That's true. All right. Well, uh, send your thoughts I and prayers. I just think we should be... Yeah. Yeah. We should uh, be prepared for this to go south. See, I, I would think that he wants to return from the grave in time to hear the new Justin Timberlake single as a uh, as a Memphis resident. So, <laughs> but oh, uh, and, and the and the noted in sync fan, as we talked about on the show before. Yeah, so. yep, yeah. and and of course, by all of that, you mean the new album by Kanye West. That's yes, of course, coming out. <laughs> yes, of course, uh, noted Kanye apologist Zach Wilkerson. Yeah. Anyway, we're talking about everything Connie's ever said. (laughs) We're talking about two comics that are coming out on the 30th of January, 2024, starting with the DC Power 2024 anthology, their Black History Month offering for the year. This features, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, (laughs) ten stories in here, uh, all featuring black characters from across the DC uh, multiverse, as well as a, a large condition of black creators, although not exclusively black creators or black characters, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, before we get into the stories in particular, how does this sort of rank in terms of your recent DC anthology reads? Is this sort of uh, par for the course, better than usual, worse than usual? What do you think? Boy, I don't know. I I don't remember the last time I read one of these, honestly, Fair enough. like, uh, cause we've kind of been skipping them now that we've shortened the show and, and, and only pick like the things we really want to read mm-hmm. for the most part, we, we tend to stay away from these. Um, yeah, boy, what was the last one I read the wild storm one or like, Oh God, really? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, what I would say is I think this is about, as good as any of those other ones in, in that I think there's like maybe two or three standout stories, mm-hmm. one or two that I really didn't care for. And the rest are all just kind of like, like pretty decent, not yeah. bad and yeah. par for the course. My, um, my critique of this book, I think, and we'll talk about this in, in detail in a minute is my critique of a lot of these books, which is that, we don't get to see these characters all that often. And it's a shame that when we do, they are so often relegated to just retelling their origin, essentially. Oh, uh, there is one. Yeah, there's a couple in here. I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you said that, because there's one in particular where I'm like, yeah, it's exactly that. Yeah, it's a real it's a real annoyance when we could be getting a good story from this character to just have their origin retold yet again. And not, in some cases, not even in a creative way. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll get to that in a minute. Let's start at the beginning here. The first story is called Far Sector Enduring Farewells. It's by N.K. Jemison and Jamal Campbell, the team behind the Joe Mullen Green Lantern character from their book Far Sector. And uh, this, I believe, is going to be collected with Far Sector in a new um, hardcover, maybe a deluxe hardcover. Coming out soon, which is which is a nice thing. Um, I know we're all big Far Sector fans. We're all we're all real young animal heads from back in the day. 
Um, but I want to hear what you thought of this of this story, Vince. So uh, take it away. This was probably my favorite one in this book. I think, um, first of all, Far Sector was really good. When mm-hmm. I think, I think you know, as it was coming out, it was clear that it was something special. I think it's it's one of those books you want to own in like a collected edition. Although they keep adding these like ancillary stories that you need to add in, you yeah. know, um, <laughs> which is fine. That's comics. Um, but I just think like, especially with the original creators writing it, it's it's like slipping into a warm bath or something. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters are all written just, just so just right. Um, there's so much warmth and humor, especially in this one, because it's like, it's kind of a farewell. Like I'm sure we will see these creators work with this, with these characters again at some indeterminate time down the road, but it really feels like there's nothing. There is no longer anything imminent, you know? Yeah, um, I, I would like say that, that like it's we're, purposeful in that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we, we're gonna see Joe sooner than later. Um, oh, Joe, yes, but not not written by N.K. Jemison. Right, exactly, exactly, right, and and probably never gonna see this planet again. Right, or the characters yeah, from this maybe. planet. Yeah, at at best, maybe like a cameo in a future, like like if Jemison ever returns to the title, there may be like a quick detour to the city enduring, you know? Sure. Yeah. Something like that. Um, just because it's, you know, creators tend to do that with their pet characters or, or cities or creations or whatever you want to say. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely agree with you there. I think like the amount of times that I thought it was charming or, or, you know, chuckle worthy. Um, just one, one of the, one of the crazy things is, a lot of times I read a story like this where, and in fact, in this, in this very anthology, there's an example or two of this, but um, you know, the, a story will return to some plot threads or some characters or some situations that you haven't seen in a while. And mm-hmm. it's maybe tough to remember or get, because we read so many comics, it's tough to get a grasp on, okay, what happened last time we saw these characters? Right. I didn't I didn't have any problems with this story as far as that's concerned like I it's just such a wonderful little world that that Jemison and Campbell created that it all just feels like going home again like oh yeah I remember this guy I remember that guy I remember what his deal was I remember what this alien race's deal was you know like it it, it all Even just if you- fits together so well even if you didn't, the way the story is constructed, you don't really need to remember that stuff. Like it, it yeah, definitely no, is no, nice yeah. and it enhances your enjoyment. But I thought it was it was a particularly well written story because you really don't need to know any of that going into this. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just think I think the character is 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 so good and and all the ancillary characters are are you know charming, funny, well designed. It's just this neat little thing that that we got and that I hope there's more of down the road, but if this is it, I mean, what a, what a nice series this has been, you know? Yeah. My, my only critique of this, and I, I don't want to, I don't want you to think that this is a critique of this particular story or of these creators. It's just, it's a trend that is, is sort of endemic 
in comics, which is that nobody knows when to leave well enough alone. And this story did not really reveal anything about Joe that we didn't know before. It didn't really add anything to the overall far sector mythos. Yes, it's it's nice to see these creators playing in the sandbox again, but I couldn't help but feel like this is just sort of a lame ending to what was a really exciting, or, or not lame is the wrong word for it, a very stereotypical, almost cheesy ending to a story that I think oftentimes bucked the type of sentimentality and sort of gimmicks that this plays into. Is that being too harsh? Uh, I mean, you just don't have a heart, but that's fine. That's, you know, I used to think you were all heart. But... I, I, I am. I, I am. My heart is, my heart is just, just broken. I, that's all. I'm just a broken man. I'm. Oh, geez. No, I mean, I, you, you are right in that it is more saccharine than the far sector maxi series was. I, I will agree with you there. I don't think that's a negative in this context. I think, I think it's a clearly meant to be a farewell story. It is meant to be pretty cut and dry. You know, no conflict is going on at all. You know, it, it is what you say it is, but I, I think if this were the way this, the like 12 issue maxi series ended, yes. But because it's a celebration of us, it's essentially a celebration of a story that already happened. Yes. And it's but just a send off. But I, I'm, I'm way more willing to forgive or not care about that at all. But because this is going to be published in the far sector, uh, you know, not it's not an omnibus, right. whatever the collection is, doesn't yeah. for people who are coming to this, you know, even one day from now, aren't those people going to read this as the end of the far sector story? Right. Maybe, I guess they'll do it as like an epilogue thing. They'll mm -hmm. they'll make pretty clear that it's a, that it's an epilogue. But I, you know, your point is taken. I just. Yeah. You know. And again, it's fine. It's enjoyable. It just feels like this is it's a weird story to get this type of a send off, not because it's not good, just because of it, I don't think it really matches the tone of Far Sector. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's fair. I, I think we're about to like, you know, I mean, Joe has already been in other people's stories mm -hmm. um, at this point. But I think, you know, if she goes on to be a Green Lantern in an ongoing title or written by some other writer or whatever, they're, they're not going to be beholden to the original creative team's intentions either way. And so I think it's just, you know, apart from that 12 issue series now, everything is kind of fair game. And sure, so I don't think sure. we can expect a certain tone. Now you're right. These are the same creators. And so like, okay, but I think, you know, now we're going to see Joe in a lot of different contexts, I think, or I hope. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I hope. I hope we do. The other thing I thought um, of with this was that this feels like it would be more at place, more sort of at home in a in a book 10 years down the road from now. Or like the stuff we see with all the death and return of Superman creators coming back to do those little stories yeah. and 
various anthologies. I think I'd be more open to this sort of sentimentality, this sort of tonal uh, left turn if it was not just a couple of years after the series wrapped up. If it felt like sure. there was there more time had passed, and and that's on me probably, but um, yeah, it, it's Buddy, not, it's not we bad. might not be here ten years from now. <laughs> oh, you're telling me. Uh, <laughs> the one, the, the one thing I will say about this, besides just the Jamal Campbell art looking great, because that's what Jamal Campbell does, I think that uh, the most notable thing this story does is it. It shows Joe's um, heart and humanity in a lot of ways with the different people that uh, that Joe visits before you know leaving the planet. It just is a good reminder of who she is as a character. Mm-hmm. I'll say that for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else to say about this story? No, I, I think I said it all. All right. Up next is The Spice of Life by Cheryl Lynn Eaton and Isaiah Fullman. Fulmore, excuse me, Isaiah Fulmore, Isaiah Fulmore. And this is a thunder and lightning story, Black Lightning's kids. Um, it, it also sort of it becomes a little bit of a Metropolis story. We get uh, a John Henry Irons appearance, a Natasha Irons peer appearance, a Condiment King appearance. And uh, mm-hmm. this this has very um, sort of uh, stylized, almost all ages inspired artwork within it. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I I enjoyed a, a great deal of that. I thought this was a pretty fun story overall. Even if I, I sort of, my constant refrain with these is going to be, I kind of wish there was more. Uh, yeah. More, yeah. More story, more depth to, to a bunch of these. But this one, I, I could have read a lot more of this. I don't know if you agree or not. Yeah. My, absolutely that's my it's in my notes here that's my thoughts exactly like what okay the caveat whenever i say this is that i know why they're not publishing more of these because because they don't um support or or really put a lot of uh uh resources into anything that's not like like a bat book or, or or directly tied to some like major property right like that's that's the caveat you have to say with any of this stuff and it's not just you know it is with with um characters of color for sure but it's i mean we we find we talk about this every time there's an anthology book it's full of these minor characters that never get their due anymore you know right right this this book is the same but reading this particular story with the with the the black lightning kids i while i was reading this i thought like why is this not a miniseries? Like, first of all, it looks great. Just, just like right. what you said, it's it's cartoony, it's it's youthful, it's the type of thing you would see in like a YA graphic novel or something. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's everybody's doing the DreamWorks face, which would yeah. normally normally that would annoy me, but like in this context, it it was good. I thought, um, <laughs> but um, um, I just thought like yes. The nobody knows what to do with Black Lightning anymore. Apparently, at DC, now that Outsiders is over, you know he had that like good stint with the Brandon Thomas Outsiders. Yes, yes, that we that we really liked. But like now he's gone again. I, these kids should have their own book or their own miniseries or their own YA graphic novel or something, because I think like th- there is something here for the younger generation. 
right? And I think Cheryl Lynn Eaton, I I think like does way better than most uh, at writing like youthful characters too. Yes. Um, And that that's key to this as well. So like, yes, this was so much fun. Condiment King was fun. I felt the same way as you did. Like this is great for an anthology. This, this could have been more, this could be more. This is, this is more what they should do with these characters that they don't really know what to do with. And they don't, they can't support ongoing titles apparently. Um, And yet this is a good enough project that it shouldn't be relegated to one time a year for 10 pages at a time or whatever it is, you know, strike speed force from the record and make this instead. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Speed force is the, the, the very ordinary, kind of throwaway way to do it whereas this is there's a spark here um that i unfortunately it just doesn't last long enough (laughs) yeah uh so in reading this i came up with a pitch for dc so jim lee i know you're listening but here is the book you should be publishing the science league of america it's led by black adam steel and mr terrific you can have Black, Natasha, Black Lightning. Black Lightning, I'm sorry. Black Lightning, yes. Not Black Adam. Black Adam's cool. We don't need, we don't need Black Adam in another... No, the hi- in another... I don't need the hierarchy of the of the science league to change. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I can't do that. Um, but no, uh, so Black Lightning, Steel, and Mr. Terrific have Natasha and Thunder and Lightning as supporting characters in it. And you get a Black-led team that is full of some of the smartest people in the DC Universe and could do really interesting, cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Make it happen, DC. Jim, you have my number. <laughs> um, you know, this, this is this is very good. Um, I, like I said, I I felt like throwing Natasha and John Henry Irons in the end of this story was a bit of a tease because they really don't get to do anything. They're just sort of, I mean, they're they're there. We don't really get to spend any time with them. But I really like the friendship between um. Jefferson's kids and John Henry's kid. Like I, I, I just I, I like I like all this. I like the family aspect of DC Comics, as longtime listeners absolutely know. And th- this was super fun. I, I really enjoyed this. this. I think this is my favorite of the stories in the in the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely up there for me. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get to Pit Stop by Lamar Giles and Sean Damian Hill. This is a Bloodwind story. And this is the first of the stories that is basically just a, hey, we're going to tell you who Bloodwind is. And it's just yeah. a, a very a very ham-fisted retelling of a character's origin. And, and to be fair to everyone involved, Bloodwind's story is convoluted. At first, he was thought to just be basically a manifestation of, of Martian Manhunter, and then it turns out it's something more than that. Like it's, I, I get that it's not the easiest character to just slide right into. But I'm going to repeat the thing I've, I've said on this show a thousand times, which is that if you do a good Bloodwind story, it no one's going to really care about the origin. Just do a good Bloodwind story. But this is not a very good Bloodwind story, nor is it a very succinct origin tale. And so it's just... It's kind of the it, it, it's kind of the you know just the the least interesting version of this story. Yeah, I fully agree. I think this is um, 
the worst offender of that phenomenon that you're talking about in this in this book. Maybe you disagree. Maybe you have a different example, but like I do. Yeah, this is this is all um, ponderous retelling of of origin and um, and I just I just wish because here's the thing. Tell me if you disagree. Okay. If you're reading an anthology book, now I know Bloodwind has shown up recently in 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 other books. Um, yes. <laughs> sparingly, right? How yeah. many pages of Bloodwind story do you think we've had in the last year? Like maybe 20? Five. <laughs> I was on less than that, but yeah. Okay. Five or ten, well, maybe. Regardless, at least we've seen him a little bit in the last year, but... Mm, set that aside and try to try to understand my point that I lay down here. Um, if you're picking up this anthology book, chances are you've probably not read a Bloodwind story in a while or ever. If you get his origin here, what does that do for you? Right. Oh, great. I learned the origin of this Bloodwind character. I probably will never see again, you know? Mm-hmm. Isn't there a way to tell a good 10 page anthology story and maybe you slip in very quickly, very succinctly, very briefly. This is Bloodwind's deal. And maybe you take a page, maybe two to, to do that. And then you tell an actual story. Right. I don't think that that really happens. I mean, it purports to tell you that there's a, a story uh, a, that's more than that. But the story is really about it's it's about Bloodwind's identity and about like sorting out his origin also, you know. Yes, uh, and it's a lot of like uh, I don't know how to explain this, but it's a lot of a, one character telling another character that this conflict is about how how my how my story is uh, contradictory and we need to sort that out. Yes. And then and then by the end you kind of do, but then the story's over. Okay, are we ever going to see Bloodwind again? I don't know. I don't know how soon. It doesn't tell you a real story though, and so like if you're again, if you're not if you don't I, I think what these writers are trying to do is, hey, most people don't know who Bloodwind is. So we're going to tell the origin so that everybody knows who Bloodwind is. Oops, we ran out of pages. <laughs> right. Now, now, why would anyone care that they just learned Bloodwind's origin? You know? Exactly, yes. When the, when the smarter thing to do, I think, and maybe this is on editorial too, maybe this isn't just on the creative team, but the smarter thing to do would be to say, hey, here's one page of what Bloodwind's deal is. If you want to know more, go back and read this book that is probably out of print right now. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is where you, this is where you can find more about Bloodwind. Now we're just going to tell you a Bloodwind story, <laughs> and maybe if you think it's cool and people ta- start talking about Bloodwind, maybe someone will want more. You know, but I just don't see anybody reading this and going, "Okay, I just sat through this ponderous origin story, and now what?" You know, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll take it a step I, further. Go All of it. these books should have a QR code in it that brings you to DC Universe to the Bloodwind page. There you go. Just say, yeah. don't know who it is. Click this QR code. Boom. Done. Yeah. Yeah. That should be like the title page to each little, uh, 
individual anthology story. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, but this is lame. It's bad. And like it, it, it it's hard because the story is telling is attempted to tell a, a, a serious tale because of Bloodwind's that they're the, part of Bloodwind's origin is that he is uh I believe he's the descendant from slaves or there there is there is from enslaved people rather and there are um you know there's obviously value in that story to be told I I, I would never begin to in, in you know say that there wasn't but th- but that stuff is also swept under the rug in in service of this just over long over explained origin story and you know i just can't i don't know there's just there's something about this that really just rubs me the wrong way with having these these complicated retellings that don't really go anywhere and that I'm going to get off my soapbox about this now. I will say that of the stories in this book, I thought that this one had um, had some some interesting art. There, there's a the, the page when they first go into hell. I think is laid out really really interestingly, and there's yeah. there's some good artwork in this story. But the story is so uh, obtuse that it you the the art was sort of the only thing I was really vibing with here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And in fact, I think those pages, those first couple pages where they, they're kind of like montage pages, mm-hmm. that's a good way to slip an origin story into a a, a story like this, right? Absolutely. If you, just, yeah. if you just keep it to that. But then the more you read the story, later he's talking about like, he's literally talking to the villain about his deal. You know, the, the origin doesn't stop there. It just keeps keeps being part of the exposition it just keeps going on and on about oh she told me the story of how you died you were all blah 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 you know they just keep talking about the origin over and over again and it's yep. not actually telling a real story or a real satisfying story or you know i yeah anyway yeah <laughs> we agree on this yeah. uh, up next is a valzad story called pure blackness by john ridley and edward galman and uh i this is this is my least favorite story in this anthology because i i think i speak for zach who's not here as well as you and say that valzad is one of our favorite characters that we're so happy has seen come back into prominence lately because it had been a long time without valzad but this art is distinctly not my thing and this is just a a, a it is 100% voiceover narration of his origin. And I like John Ridley a lot. There's no reason for this story, though. Mm-hmm. This was a bummer mm-hmm. for me. What did you think? Yeah, I I agree with um, all of your criticisms, except I think um, I ended up liking it more than the Bloodwind story, even though it does a similar thing for a couple of very specific and maybe not all that um substantial reasons okay and yet and yet i still did end up liking it more because of them first of all i think ridley's prose is just better i'll agree with that. Re- sure, sure yeah it, it may be retelling uh kind of what valzad's deal is i i agree with you there i am tired i don't like those kind of stories period um the prose is better 
it's 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 actually pre- pleasant prose to read at times. It doesn't feel like it's just regurgitating. Like he he almost seems like he has something to say, even though he just ends up really just talking about. You know what I mean? Like it, it absolutely it, yes. Ridley yes. is making a point. Actually, the thing that you said about the the you know um, bloodwind uh, descending from uh, an enslaved people or whatever. That is a great point here because yes, they 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 mention that in that story, but it doesn't. You don't get the sense that they're drawing any theme out of it. It's just part of the origin, right? Right. Whereas here, Ridley is ruminating on the theme uh, about uh, what makes Valzad different, you know, mm-hmm. and you feel that. And yes, it does get tiresome because it is just. It's 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 not telling a story. It's just telling you what Valzad's deal is. But at least Ridley is like ruminating on something, you know. Yeah, so I, I, I suppose that's true. Yeah, I'm 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 not. Oh, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. I just think it comes off better than the blood one. What doesn't come off better is the art. I you know me. I do not yeah. care for this style of art at all. Like if you picked any. It's you know what I'm saying. This like digitally weirdly shaded. I mean, how do you describe this? It almost looks like they're not 3D models, but they almost look like 3D models that have like this blocky shadowing and color digitally placed on it. It just doesn't. I really don't like this type of art. And there's it looks like the graphics from the N64 Superman game. Yeah, kinda, kinda. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So just, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't like looking at a story that looks like this. The other thing I will say that this story has going for it, and again, this is very minor. I love the idea of Toy Man being a guy who uh, pilots Gundams. <laughs> sure. Um, I, I want that to be the new Toy Man thing. Like, I want that to be the James Gunn Toy Man. Uh status quo in the movies now haven't we uh, seen that in probably other but probably but I, I i have to reiterate how much i like it sure course, yes yeah. we, yes we probably did it's a it's to me that so you know silver age characters it's tough to make some of them modern or relatable without them being goofy or whatever and this is, I feel like this is still goofy. It's a guy with a bow tie piloting a Gundam. But to me, it's the perfect way to make quote unquote toy man a modern iteration of the character that still feels true to what the character is. Sure. But isn't too silly. Like you wouldn't be embarrassed necessarily reading the story. It's not him like literally, uh, beating superman with like a jack-in-the-box or something you know right right yeah yeah but you know that's an incredibly minor thing like i don't think this is a good story but you know there's a there's a couple of charming bits in it sure sure i i guess for me (laughs) uh the reason that this falls shorter than the bloodwind story is because i care so much more about valzad as a character so i had higher expectation going in Oh yeah, that's fair. That's fair. We do we do like Z- Velzad. 
<laughs> you almost slipped into a Trump impression there. <laughs> There's my no, no, no. Uh, all no, right. We're not going to do that. No, we're not. We're not going to do that. But what we are going to do is we're going to talk about the next story, which is called Lost at Sea by Darren Bennett and Dennis Conway. This is a Black Manta story. Why don't you start us off with this? Dennis Cohen? I'm sorry, Cohen. My um, my autocorrect in my notes app did Conway here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cowan. Um, yeah. I, boy, I I got to say, I like that this told an actual story, for one thing. Um, like, this cannot be accused of being, like, a retelling of Black Manta's origin or anything like that. Yep, mm-hmm. One thing I will say, though, is now with Black Manta, we're, and I, you know, DC is burning so many villains this way. You're, you're, you're making him too much of a good guy. Yep. <laughs> like, he's a tweener. He is. Well, he's practically, a, he's practically a good guy in this one, you know, yeah. other, other than the fact that he, that he brutally kills the, the bad guys. They are unquestionably the bad guys, you know. There's no, yeah. there's no um, gray in this story, you know. Like, mm-hmm. and that's just a criticism of how like DC has been treating a lot of its like fan favorite villains lately by making them <laughs> into by making them into very noble characters to the point where they're practically good guys, right? Um. That said, like there, there's something legitimately touching about Black Manta saving this um, queer kid from his homophobic father, who's also a pirate, who also treats him brutally and murders the 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 guy of his fancy. Um, like that's a I I was impressed at how far the story pushed that. Um, I don't think it was like it ultimately wasn't one of my favorite stories. Cause I think like, again, it, it felt like a story that was um, shoved into, it was a, it was a square peg shoved into a round hole or something. Cause like, I don't think it fits black Manta all that well. Right. Um, but I, I appreciated the intent of the story. Let's say that. Yes, I, I I do think that I start. I think the story has great intentions, and and I and I was impressed with how far they pushed it. Okay, you you got the floor. Sorry, I, I was gonna say, I echo everything you say. I have almost nothing to add to that. I thought that uh, the Cowan art looks pretty good. Uh, I thought that like the, this 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 making Black Manta not quite a villain. I understand why that character leads itself to this interpretation and. I think during the Aquaman era, it was interesting to have this sort of tweener character who was not quite a, a good guy, not quite a bad guy. I get all of that, but I think that the longer you don't use him, like, if he's not being used regularly and and he's just becoming a hero, then you're going to see him even less than we're seeing him now. Because we can't, DC can't publish stories with all their heroes in it as it is. So we yeah. need villains for those stories, and they're, they're undoing Black Manta with that. Um, but yeah, this was a solid story. I, I thought that this absolutely, maybe more than almost any other story in the anthology, did what I want these stories to do in terms of it's just telling a Black Manta story. 
It's mm-hmm. not. It doesn't need to re-educate the world on Black Manta. Next up, we have a Spectre story, Christmas Allen, called The Session by uh, Sean Martinborough and illustrated by Tony Akins and Moritat, uh, both friends of the pod. Yeah, uh, two two favorites of the DC3. Yeah. Of, and, of the uh, New 52 era. Yeah. I love that there was an editor's box note to a Final Crisis tie-in <laughs> here. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, you have said on the show a number of times that we are getting perilously close to just being the pre-Flashpoint continuity again. And uh-huh. I feel like if you're, if, if you're referencing a Final Crisis tie-in, then yes, we have just returned to old continuity. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, I'm not complaining. It's fine yeah. by me. <laughs> um, I thought that this one, again, like, this did a pretty decent job of just being a Christmas, crisp, Christmas Allen story. And it wasn't trying too strongly to remind you of, of the character's origin. But if you don't know who he is, I think you probably get a sense for who the Spectre is from this story. Um, the art looked really good. I thought this was a pretty solid story. Also, this this and the Black Manta story back to back gave me a lot of hope for the rest of this anthology that might not have been there necessarily. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what do you think? Yeah, yes, I I totally agree. My my one criticism. A little wordy, sure. It's sure. It's it's pretty wordy to try to get. Now it's a it's kind of a mystery story, um, which is appropriate, and so it it does have to get a lot of information out in ten pages. Sure. So I forgive it for that. Um, but again, that you know, I'll say the same thing I said with the the Black Lightning Thunder and Lightning story. I I want more of this. You could have made a you could have made a really nice 20 page issue out of this and maybe you would have broken up some of the narration, made it breathe a little bit more. And the bonus is you've got a great creative team. You have great characters that we haven't seen in a while, like Crispus Allen. Um, I know Renee Montoya has been around a little bit at DC, but like just anytime you see that classic uh, Renee Montoya question look, I, I love the style of this story. I, I want to see more of it. I, I wish I wish the it's just the nature of the anthology title, but this story really needed a little bit room of room to breathe. That yes. that being said, I really appreciated what we got and I and I I want more. Like you could if you gave me a uh black label if they still do that or whatever, Crispus Allen, Renee Montoya mystery story you know three issue prestige whatever great serve it up um but yeah in this context it was just just a little wordy but but yeah definitely definitely agree with it being one of the better stories in this thing you know we're constantly talking about how there doesn't need to be more bat books but that doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't good gotham books to to tell these are two gotham characters that i think could be used well in the books that we already have or in a a, a more gotham centric story right um yeah that, absolutely sort of being like batman batman doesn't show up for a single single panel of this i don't think so yeah you're no. exactly right yeah all right uh next up we have the natural order written and illustrated by aletha martinez and this is the combination that no one in this in their right mind could have predicted: uh, Nubia <laughs> and Mister Mitsipitalik. 
What a weird yeah. combination of characters. Uh-huh. Uh, also, what a mess of a story. <laughs> yeah, this was it's, it's tough. It's very confusing. Um, I'm not. I'm still not sure. I 100% got it. Same. However, I do applaud the effort of of crossing Nubia and Mister Mixes Pitalik. I think that's and artistically, I I I dug him being in this world and contrasting with those characters. Uh, I I really liked the art, but yeah, the story was like one or two steps too convoluted for its own good. Like, okay, th- he's the, the trickster imp, obviously, so nobody trusts him. But he's got a story about how he got tricked, but they might not necessarily believe that story's true. Then in the end, it turns out it was, and he and he was innocent. It just, it was like one or two convolutions too far. <laughs> this This story is the uh, sequential art rendition of the no, it's got to be your bull telling them <laughs> a joke. It's just like no one really knows what the point is. They 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 kind of have an idea, but they don't know how to tell it. It's a mess. This is just a god-awful mess. And uh, again, an inspired pairing. It looked good because Aletha Martinez is a, is a quality artist. She had done the art for... Um, I want to say it was 2021. There was a Black History Month print that was awesome that had a bunch of uh, the DC's black characters on it, and she had done the, the the art for that. It was great, but this is just a this is a rough, a real rough read. Um, yeah, uh, I I wanted to like this so much, and I just could not bring myself to care because, like you said, I still think I only have about a 75 percent comprehension rate. On what actually happened in the story, mm-hmm. and uh, again, it's just too cute by half. There's no reason to make it this complicated, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully, this is not the last time we will see Mister Mrs. Pitalik in uh, Themyscira. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Why not? Right that yeah. that that's a Superman villain that almost never gets used anymore. Yeah, yeah, I feel like again, like only in anthology stories because he's too goofy to put in like a real they take their real ongoing stories too seriously to you know you might see him in a christmas comic or in like a romance comic or whatever (laughs) yeah well next next story we should have mr mrs pitalik ask uh nubia out on a date in the in the in the how to date a guy gardener in 10 days whatever it's called uh elizabeth gardener anthology yeah Oh, oh, and the safe word is his name backwards. There we go. Oh, I mean, <laughs> that's how you get him to say it. Exactly. Yeah. Ah, I like it. See, anyone can write this stuff. <laughs> anyone can write this crap. Turning Absolutely. into Stanley. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, up next, jump shots and loose watts by Jarrett Williams and Domo Stanton. This is a kid flash story. This is a cute story. This this does a little bit of what we were talking about before, which is retelling an origin. But the, the retelling of the origin has an in-story reason, and it shows Kid Flash being a really compassionate person. And uh, you know, I, I I like it when my superheroes are not just super powered, but are good people. 
and you know you can see why their heart's in the right place and all of that. And they did a good job with that. It's it's kind of a nothing story, and uh, a real shoehorned in Red Arrow and uh, Roundhouse <laughs> at the end of it. But that's fine. I, I thought this was this was perfectly cromulent, crumpulent even. Yeah, I, I agree. And here's the distinction with the with the little origin bit of this. It's like you said, it's in service of the story. It's it directly contrasts um, Wallace's origin and upbringing with the trials that this little kid that he comes across is going through, and it ends up helping to you know maybe make her feel better or whatever. I, like it's it's used in a way you you're using the origin to tell a story that actually has like a beginning, middle and end. You're not just, you're not just fashioning a story around an excuse to rehash somebody's origin. Right. Right. Exactly. If that makes any sense. Yeah. But like, yes. like, yeah, you're right that it's, it's, it's kind of a, a, a breezy, nothing story, but it does. Yeah. It's, it's trying to make a difference in this one little girl's life. Doesn't, certainly not life changing or world changing, you know, there's no threat or conflict here, but it's, it's kid flash making someone's day better and, and kind of ruminating on the, on the plight of a, a girl who has to grow up too fast or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I really, uh, probably not one of the top, three stories in this thing, but squarely in the middle in that like enjoyable to read breezy enough does the job. The art looks great. Domo Stanton. I, I always love when Domo Stanton's art shows up. Yeah. Um, and Jarrett Williams so, is writing kid flash in uh, uh speed force. But to me, this did more to make me care about kid flash than any issues of speed force has yet. Oh, and it's way better written. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, like dialogue and everything, you know? Um, so I don't know what that's about, but, but yeah, they, it's, I mean, this is, this is that mini is kind of tough to read at times. And this just was uh snappy breezed right along. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Very it's, strange. It's hard to believe it's the same guy. Although I know I actually double checked my notes to make sure because it didn't seem like it was because this, this does not feel as labored as speed force does. Yeah. Up next, we have Fair Play by Greg Burnham and Johnny Lindsay. This is a Mr. Terrific story. And again, like this, I'll put this in the same category as the Christmas Allen story, where I, I think that this was a good Mr. Terrific story that did not overexplain his origin. Uh, it didn't. It didn't do too much that really stood out. But I thought it. It was at least attempting to tell a good Mr. Terrific story without having to rehash every bit of the character's origin. Um, and we've gotten enough. Maybe it's we've gotten enough, Mister Terrific, lately in the pages of the Flash that DC didn't feel they had to re redo the origin. But for whatever reason, I'm glad they didn't. Uh, this also had some fun, Mister Terrific science e stuff in it, which I'm always kind of a sucker for. Um, but not, but but I think I enjoyed this story less than I did the Christmas Island one in part because Johnny Lindsay's art is is good here. But doesn't have the sort of uh, the it, it doesn't hit me in the same way that the the Akins and Moritz art did. 
Mm -hmm. What'd you think? Yeah, this was maybe my like third or fourth favorite in the issue. And I think it's because it just straight up tells a Mr. Terrific story. It actually uses like identity and politics to tell a story that's a little bit like current and modern and maybe even like certainly not controversial to me, but like, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot about these like uh, DAs that are trying to find alternate um, ways of, of uh, crime prevention or, you know, betterment as opposed to just like, throwing people in prison or what, you know what I'm saying? Like yes, there's yes. progressive DAs out there that are, you know, taking flack from a, a lot of shit. People who think like the, the solution to these problems is just, you know, more brutality or whatever. And they're trying to find alternate solutions, whatever, whatever. Uh, and this story actually uh, tries to use that to show like uh, Mr. Terrific, basically running interference and, and protection for this guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a, that's a real world current eventy political situation that you can mine for like drama and it, it people writers stay away from that stuff because it's controversial or whatever, um, or because it's difficult to write. It is difficult to write a political thing and not make it seem cheesy or heavy handed, you know, yeah. that much is true. But here I think like the so easily does Michael Holt inhabit the the role of like the the protector for this progressive DA that uh it just it just reads so smoothly. It's true to the character. The title of the story is Fair Play, which is like an obvious it's an obvious uh title for a, a Mr. Terrific story, but it's perfectly fitting and it's perfectly mm -hmm. like the theme of the story aligns with the character in a way that's really satisfying. Like you said, without rehashing an origin or feeling like it needs to get you up to speed with exactly who Michael Holt is, you the know, closest that comes is not close at all, which is when he goes into the, when he finds the guy who's trying to kill the DA and he says, I'm not going to kill you. And the guy says, fair play, right? Yeah, that's yeah. like the most origin we get in the whole thing. Yeah, it's just referencing that 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 that's written on his jacket and that that was the original Mister Terrific from the JSA's like catchphrase. Yeah, and it doesn't even go that specific with it. If you didn't know that, you wouldn't it wouldn't jump out at you, right? So, yeah, yeah. All right, and uh, that brings us to the final story in the anthology: "The Light That Shines" by Brandon Thomas and Carrie Randolph. This is a signal story, and it's a Kronos story. We haven't seen Kronos show up in a very long time around <laughs> yeah. DC. Um, so there, there is some some time travel shenanigans here, and it's a little bit convoluted, and uh, all of that. But it has Harper Row in it, so who can say if it's bad or not? <laughs> yeah, this was one. <sighs> this was one that's kind of squarely in the middle for me because um, I liked the art. Like I thought, yes. I thought it looked great. Um, I liked 
how interesting the story was and how it used uh, so many of these characters together and, and kind of threw them into this cosmic gumbo. Uh, but, but I feel like I was missing something because this, th- okay. So remember how I said like far sector, even if I'm far removed from having read that book, yes, I slipped in and I understood like what everyone's deal was mm-hmm. with just what they gave you in that story. I read this and I feel like I need to go back and read what came because this is branching off of a different story. Right. I feel like I need to go back and read that story because I think I'm missing a couple things. And the 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 story this this story doesn't necessarily do a great job of getting you up to speed with that stuff. Um I and maybe I, that's Go ahead. I was. I, I don't know if I if I totally agree or not. I I do think that the story is not maybe all that well told. Uh, in terms of uh, from a scripting perspective, I think pulling off time travel is tricky, and I think that while Carrie Randolph's art is very good, there were a couple of times where I felt like the art was not super clear in terms of. Uh, telling the story in an in an easily understandable way specifically there's a panel right after the time jump happens and i don't know if this was intentional or this is just my dc pilled brain doing this i thought he traveled back in time to the we are robin era where duke started from when those when those couple of robins showed up in -hmm. there and then so then i was confused when i was like oh wait that that's not where some we're in a different time period here or whatever so i thought that the story was maybe not as clear as it could be but i don't know if you missed anything versus just it wasn't that well that it wasn't as well written as we would hope yeah that could that could easily be the case but i either way i guess then i would i would call it like a fairly middle of the road story even though um i wanted to like it a lot more like i like the elements of it a lot more than i like the actual telling of the story and I will say, give me this uh, a dozen times before you give me a story that says, this is Duke Thomas, this is his origin, these yep. are the rooks, this is their the deal, you know? like Here he is with his wife, you know, Carmella. Yeah. Here he is with his wife, Carmella, here he is coming down the stairs. Yeah. Tony So, Tony <laughs> <Exactly>. Soprano, Dominic <laughs> Kinesi. <Easy. laughs> no one knows what we're talking about unless, nope, they've, but... unless they've seen an Onion video from like... 12 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's what they come to our show for. Exactly. So. <laughs> we to be fair, you and I haven't even texted each other Tony so lately. We used to, there was a good 5 years of us just texting Tony so every now and then to one another. We're not even doing that anymore. We're we're You don't bring me flowers anymore. <laughs> we're both in really too dark of places for Tony so. <laughs> that is true. We need, yeah. We need to welcome Tony so back into our lives, but <laughs> yes, we do. It's it's really hard to do. <sighs> I'm gonna watch that video as soon as we hang up, though. I will, Me too. I will Me say too. that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Um, you ever think about how they got that guy to do? Like, who is that guy that says that? And they paid him how much to? 
to stand there and say Tony Soa doesn't tie. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Tony Soprano. Uh. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Anyway, anything else to say about this? Um, no, that's the last story, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's the last story. Yeah. Uh, there were some who's who pages, which ten out of ten. Oh yes, yeah. That's 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 your shit. You talk about that if you want. No, I mean just they're they're who's who pages for a bunch of these characters. Uh, they're great. N- nothing else to say about them. Truly, uh, go read them. They're fun. Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't the onion. It was click hole. So if you want to know what Brian and I are talking about, Google Tony Soprano click hole. To be fair, click hole is a subsidiary of the onion. It, so. it is a subsidiary of the onion. Yes, yes. Yeah, this is almost the intro for The Sopranos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Save that for uh, after the show. Yeah, exactly. Hello, denizens of Earth 1218. We are the hosts of Make Mine Multiversity, a twice monthly podcast. I'm Jamin. And I'm Elias. Make Mine Multiversity is your handy guide to all things Marvel. Each month, we get into it with long looks at the careers of Marvel creators, characters, themes, whatever. Sometimes that means we dig into all things X-Men, sometimes we do a book club for Marvel series past and present, and sometimes that means figuring out which series is our heavyweight champion. Coming down by good old Skylaser to your podcatcher of choice every first and third Friday. Excelsior. Excelsior indeed. Moving on to our final book of the week, Titans Beast World 6, written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by Ivan Reyes, Lucas Meyer, and Eduardo Pensica. Um... Can we just talk about Tony So a lot? (laughs) You're going to be really down on this, I know. So good, so good to go ahead. Um, boy, oh boy. To me, it's just more of the same. Um, it's more of the same. I'm going to say the exact same things I've been saying, which is that like there are a couple of moments with the Titans characters that I think are good. Some of the stuff with um, Nightwing and how Nightwing sneaks in uh, to the to the Oval Office to confront the president, and as like a matter of trust, is about to reveal his identity to the president. And the president, the president says, "Well, let me be clear. I <laughs> don't need to know who you are. Um, it's not Obama." <laughs> But I wanted to do Obama there. If you like the secret um, identity, uh, you can keep it. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's exactly what he says. Exactly. Um, so, you know, those character moments, Tom Taylor's still really good at those. Um, uh, I, I think they, you know, for the most part, they ring pretty true. Um, I think the art is, you know, pretty good. I kind of said my piece on on Ivan Reyes the last time we talked about this. Um and who who's the other artist in this? It's um, uh Lucas Meyer and, and Eduardo Pensico. Lucas Meyer Pensico. Yeah, they all do pretty good work. Um I think it's all pretty good. It's a good-looking book. Um but I just think the the ending is such a groaner. And that's a big yes. Like when you're when you're talking about an event, uh, you want it to have a good ending, and so few of them do. And unfortunately, this goes right in the crap ending. <laughs> well, uh, uh, now I I, I, I like now I like the bit. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. 
What I was going to say is I think that it has a crap resolution, but an okay ending. There's a difference there. Like, I think that the end of the Beast World story of the way that they the way that they save the world and save Beast Boy, I think that's actually fine. I have no issue with that part yeah. of the story. The yes, conclusion the of bring, that story fig- is fine. Yeah, where they figure out a way to bring Gar back. Yes, that's yes, that's fine. It's the stuff that happens after that, right? Yes, it is the like the umpteenth terrible Amanda Waller moment. <laughs> and then it is the so predictable. I was hoping they were going to swerve us because there's no way we would believe this wasn't going to happen with Raven being the evil Raven. Right, right. They've swapped places and the good Raven is in the gem and the bad Raven is secretly out. Yeah. Yeah. All I'm, the all, most... I'm, all I'm picturing is uh, Michael Jackson. Oh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no it's the thriller video. Yeah, of course. No, it is Homer Simpson dancing on his own grave. I am evil, Homer. I am evil, Homer. That's all it is. <laughs> That's good. Literally, when I wrote my notes, I am evil, Homer. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, Amanda Waller instituting the Hall of Order is very funny to me. Oh boy. Um, yeah. That's just a that's just a shit idea. Uh. But you know, funny, I guess. The Raven thing is really, really bad. Um I guess if you're not gonna kill Gar, there needs to be some sort of consequence for this. And I would say that Raven is easily the least interesting member of the Titans team at this moment because the no one ever lets Raven do anything other than be conflicted about her parentage. Yeah. That's and that you know, it's just it's it's always I'm a daughter of a demon, but I'm not a demon, blah blah blah. Like we've had that story told a thousand times. And so I understand that you have to do something to buck that. But this is just the least interesting way to do that. Yeah. Um I, I did I, I did find one of my favorite lines in a comic of, of the year so far, which is it was the most power ever wielded by one chimpanzee. Yeah. Which is a line. Yeah. It's about Detective Chimp. That was that was good. Um that's, and again, a, that's like, a classic Tom Taylor yes, narration, narration gag. Yeah. Again, I I think that as a Titans event, this is more successful than as a like DC proper event. But I do like how this was pitched as the Titans are taking over as the prominent team in the DC universe. And I think all of us kind of felt like, well, that's not really going to happen though. They're still going to be the, the second banana to the justice league. And they really, that really hasn't happened at all. You know, this, this book, they took the lead. It was their plan and it worked, you know? Um, So I, I, I really like that from a meta narrative, which I've talked about before, and I just think that Taylor is such a good beat on these characters and their relationships with one another. So all mm-hmm. of that stuff works for me. It's just the those 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 two things at the end, the uh, the Waller stuff and the Raven stuff that 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 you know didn't do it for me. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that just that stuff just kind of sours an event that I already wasn't enjoying very much like but 
when I decided that I just wasn't going to enjoy this event in the end, the one thing I always hope for is a crazy twist or like a, a wild uh, uh, hint at a future status quo. And the two things that we saw were like literally the most boilerplate things that they could have come up with that you would have guessed in your mind, you know? Yes. Neither of which can be called any kind of a curveball, Right. Um, so, you know, I don't think the event was a total waste uh, because there were some like bits here and there that I liked, especially in the, in the, um, world tour issues like mm -hmm. here and there there was a fun idea um but i dc is doing this thing now where they cycle through events and they're all pretty much less than the sum of their parts you know yes even going back to like um i can never remember the name of it what was the event that would like coincided with dark crisis with, with Batman and Robin and was it Robin war or was it? It was probably Robin war. Oh boy. It was Batman Robin. Um, it combined like the Joshua Williamson Robin with um, like Deathstroke was involved. Yes, I think. Yes, yes. Yeah. We liked that event, but even that, like it's, it contributes to this event fatigue. Because yeah. you're just getting from one to another, you know, and they're not, they're always too long or they're, they, you know, there's some superfluous element to them <laughs> that if everything was just tightened up a little more, uh, it, it, it would be better. It, it really feels like you're reading a, um, some, something that is being, uh, marketed to you or oversold. To, there's a bloat there that you are being sold. And you're yes. being told that you should read all of it, you know, and, and it's just, if they pared it down or if they really tightened it up, you might have something there, but they don't. So. Yeah. I'm not going to really argue with any of that. You know, I, I, I was higher on this event than you and Zach were, but I, again, I think that's just my Titans bias showing. Um, and, and, and I don't think any of your critiques were wrong necessarily. I just, I could stomach them better than I guess you could. Um, Sure. Which happens now and then. It's fine. Well, Vince, what comes out next week, the first week of February 2024? We've got Batman 142. That's that's right. That's Jokey Year One. Oh is that boy. The, is, that, is, is that part one of Jokey Year One? Ah, uh, let me check. Hang on. That is part one of Jokey Year One. Okay. It's we will prob all, probably all, probably not reading that. We're not reading that. All it is is 20 pages of that guy saying I'm the Joker, baby. That would be a much more enjoyable comic, I think, for all of us. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Um, the Batman Scooby-Doo Mysteries, number two. Birds of Prey, number six. DC's How to Lose a Guy Gardener in 10 Days, number one. Uh, the finale of Fire and Ice, Welcome to Smallville, number six. Uh, Neil Before Zod, number two. Poison Ivy, number 19. Red Hood, The Hill, number zero. Uh, Scooby Doo, where are you? I don't. I don't normally mention Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo. Scooby, Scooby doesn't do. They should call the book Velma. Um, Shazam Fred number doesn't eight. Drive the plot doesn't drive the story. <laughs> All right, anyway, that's good. 
Shazam number eight, Suicide Squad Kill Arkham Asylum number one. That is the most insufferable title I've ever read, I think. Uh, and Superman 78, The Metal Curtain number four. With a very Gene Hackman y uh, Luther on the cover there. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, folks. As always, we appreciate it. Go to dc3cast.com for more. And we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. It really has been too long since we were for, since we referenced Tony. So, <laughs> yeah, I almost forgot he existed. I don't believe that. I believe he's always in your heart. <laughs> <laughs>